0: Uh,
1: I think it's quite obvious that I am not Dan Moran. (laughs) Some of you may know Dan. He's pretty funny. And he said, make sure you tell them you're not (laughs) me. So, I I apologize that Dan is not here. He is quite the treat, I have to say. But we have him down in Concord today uh, teaching. So uh, we apologize for the change in, in speaker. Um, so as you know, today we're going to be talking about the Medicare and wellness visit. And whenever I facilitate a class, I like to know kind of what people are expecting to get out of the class or why they signed up for the class and what is it that you're hoping to learn. Um, so I think we'll just start there. Um, and just raise your hand and
2: share, please. I like the word wellness. Anything that helps me be well and stay well on the Excellent. App. The
3: questionnaire the questionnaire you handed out. Uh, I have a wellness visit scheduled for DH
1: Conference. Uh, do I take this with me? Will, it, or will I get the same thing when I get there? So we, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, about some of the questionnaires that are used, um, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, I'm curious why
0: I need a wellness visit versus the many times I see my own physician anyway. Mm -hmm. And it looks like all these questions have been asked. Mm
4: -hmm. Okay, we'll
0: talk about that. I wonder why Medicare will pay for a wellness visit and
1: it will not pay for a physical exam. Okay. Great question. Don't know if I have the right answer to that, but we can talk about that. Some of my friends
5: are actually going to a doctor for their wellness visit, but when I called, you know, Elaine's office at Hitchcock, she said she can no longer do it. It has to be done by a PA <coughs> or, a a or
1: a nurse. Nurse. Mm-hmm. That's right. But some aren't. That's very strange. Right. Does that mean <laughs> the wellness visit is free? The wellness mm-hmm. visit is free, I've free of charge. Before. Yeah. 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 So.
0: Hmm. Uh,
3: my main reason for being here is to find out uh, what Medicare will cover if a doctor finds something during a wellness visit and starts an exam of some kind or if a patient asks a question that is not covered by the wellness visit uh, and the doctor uh, decides to uh,
1: take that further, uh, what will Medicare pay for? Mm -hmm. Great question. These are all really good questions that we're going to cover. So Um, I think what I'd like to do is to go through some slides to talk about the wellness visit, what it is, what it is not, Um, and then we can talk about um, a number of of different things. For example, what we use at Dartmouth-Hitchcock in terms of a questionnaire, what Medicare requires us um, to use in terms of questionnaires. Um, what happens at the visit if all of a sudden something comes up and it and it turns into another type of a visit for that patient. Um, so we are going to start. And what I gave out was a one-pager. That's kind of an overview. And also, I did give you out uh, copies of the Dartmouth-Hitchcock annual wellness visit.
5: Mm-hmm. Can you
1: tell us who you are? Oh, I am so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so many friends in the room. Um, So I'm Ellen Flaherty. Um, I co-direct the centers here, uh, Centers for Health and Aging with Steve Bartels. I am also a nurse practitioner uh, in geriatrics in the, uh, I'm actually on the community team. So the geriatrics team at Hitchcock um, has a clinic-based team and a community-based team. And the community-based team, we care for patients in skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities, and we make home visits. So I practice on that, on that team. So I apologize for not introducing (laughs) myself. Um, So the Medicare annual wellness visit is a a yearly Medicare benefit. Um, And the focus and the purpose of this is to identify risks. So identify things that, from information that you tell us, from a lot of the questions that we ask. um, What are some of the risks that you are faced with? So we'll talk a little bit more about some of those risks. But for example, false. Um, And what we really try to do is to focus on things that we can, what we say mitigate, things that we can actually do something about. So if you screen somebody for Cognitive impairment or falls, and we're going to go specifically about those things that we screen for. Is there something we can do about that? And you know, we say a uh, you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The 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 quicker we can detect something that we can do something about, generally speaking, uh, we're much better off the earlier that it's detected. Um, so that is. the the purpose of the visit, Medicare, in their wisdom, has said, if we pick up on these abnormalities, if we pick up on these things, and we can do something about it, ultimately is actually going to save the patient, certainly suffering down the road, but likely will save us money in the system. Um, So that is kind of the rationale behind this wellness visit. And that's why they provide it for free. and what we try to do here at Dartmouth is, again, not only identify the risks, but then connect you with resources in the community that may very well be free um, to, again, to help with. Please take the handouts and sit wherever you like. Um, so, some of the things that are checked, certainly in the health risk assessment, and we're going to go through this, are things like mobility and mood and memory. Um, I think part of this is really about providing not only education, but counseling to patients. And what we have found is that when we use nurses um, to conduct these visits, that actually the patients get a lot more out of it. Um, than when they meet with their physician. Um, Some practices what they are doing is they're using this as what they call part one of their physical. So patients will come, meet with the nurse, spend time, complete the health risk assessment. Everything is then updated in the record. So then when you meet with your physician or nurse practitioner, your provider, that's all complete. So then the time that you have with your provider is really focused on things that you are concerned about. Some of that may have been generated from the health risk assessment, but it really provides more intense time with your provider because they don't have to ask all the questions about immunizations and and all the things that you've already discussed with the nurse from the health risk assessment. Not every practice does it that way, but some do. There was a question about why Medicare pays for this and does not pay for a physical. It's a great question. I think part of it was really to encourage people to do this risk assessment, right? Most physicians, and I know I'm just generalizing, do not ask, do not thoroughly do all the stuff that's being done on this when you come in for a physical. Part of that is that you just don't have the time, right? Um, and I don't need to tell you what happens now in terms of the time that we spend with patients is much less and less and less. It's absolutely terrible, I'm not defending it, but, but that's the reality of it. Um, so the fact that you would could spend some time, again, with a nurse that would then work with the provider um, to really identify these risks and, 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 and think about um, what has to be done is really actually a great service. Okay. So the, this is not a yearly physical. Um, you actually um, are not examined during this visit. Um, so you will get your vital signs taken, your blood pressure, um, as you usually would when you would come in for a provider visit but it is not an exam. And part of that, again, is the focus is not on the physical touch. It's not on physical findings. It's really based on this risk and asking a lot of questions about what's happening in your life versus somebody examining you and you know doing a breast exam and finding a mess or doing, finding some other type of abnormality on an exam. Not that that's not important, it's just not what this visit is. Um, So part of what we're doing here today and what we've been doing in other venues is really talking to patients um, about this. One of the biggest challenges is that very often patients come in for this visit expecting it to be free, but also expecting to get a physical. And so when the expectations are such, what we find out is the patients are really not very happy, nor would I be if that was my expectation that I was coming in for a physical. So part of it is a lot of education um, with patients, and again, how are we informing patients what this visit is, and again, what this visit is not. Um, so it is not a physical, um, is extremely important.
2: Um, Excuse me, is this in any way referenced in the health care program? The Affordable Health Care Program? The
1: Affordable Health Care Act? So this came, the the Medicare wellness visit is actually something that predated that, the Affordable (coughs) Care Act. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is interesting. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it will segue into talking about um, some of you are part of the new Dartmouth Accountable Care Organization, or ACO, um, and it's called NextGen. If you're a patient here in Lebanon, Lebanon has been excluded from the NextGen, but it's for patients who are in some of our southern practices. Um, which How about Lyme? Your Lyme, Lyme is still considered part, not part of the NextGen, no. it's still part How of about the, new Lyme? the North. Um, New London Hospital is not part of the ACO right now. So the ACO essentially is a specific contract that Medicare has with Dartmouth-Hitchcock. And the focus of that is really trying to provide the most efficient care Um, So, it enables us to provide care a little bit differently and provides us with both incentives and disincentives based on what we do. It's not focused as much on what we call fee-for-service, meaning what we do we get paid for. So there's a couple of benefits to patients um, that are now part of this ACO. Um, the ACO is very much focused on getting patients in for this health risk assessment. And they are actually, Medicare is actually paying patients $25 to come in to get this health risk assessment. And letters have been sent out to um, some of the, of, of the patients who are part of these practices. Um, in fact, a gentleman brought in, that's the letter that, that you received. Um, if I received a
3: letter, uh, the my primary care physician then is automatically, I'm automatically included in this?
1: Correct. So the fact that you received a letter, I think the letter starts out by saying like congratulations or something. You are now part of the next gen ACO. And there's a couple of other benefits that go along with that. And I automatically get this money uh, sent to me then? I believe that that's the way that it, that it, once you go in and you get that visit. One of the things that, and and this sounds crazy, but we could not alter that letter. That letter looks like it's coming from us, Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Medicare particularly dictated what was in that letter. What we didn't like about that letter is that that letter states that you will come and see your physician, and we're really focusing these visits on on patients seeing a nurse to conduct these visits, which clearly is a much more efficient way to have these visits. Um, And it really affords us the opportunity to have you spend more time with a nurse than you would the physician, and ask all these questions, which would make sense. Um, One of the things that we did here about, well, it's not a year, about eight months ago, is we actually worked with some uh, engineers and human design engineers at the the Dartmouth Entrepreneurial Network, which is a center for innovation that's in Hanover. And we brought together a lot of different clinicians, doctors, nurses, social workers. We also had a fair number of patients uh, who participated. We were very fortunate to have Marie Esselborn participate in that to really talk about Um, What would be the ideal way to go about doing these visits? Um, One of the things that has influenced some of this work is that some of the minute clinics, like in CVS, are starting to do these. They're obviously doing it because they can certainly make a profit from it. Patients are not paying anything, so patients are much more reluctant to kind of walk in and do this visit. We think that those visits should be done in primary care because we think that these visits should live with your provider, so your provider has all this information. Um, so with that said, we really started to think a lot more seriously about how we can do it better. So we had this, this two-day program at the Center for Innovation. And we talked about everything, right, Marie? I mean, like we just—the idea was to just go completely wild, like think way outside the box. Everything from like we should buy a van and we should like drive around and be doing these things, or uh, we should be doing this at the the flu clinic. And if any of you came to our flu clinics this year, the big public flu clinics, even the one here, we were really advertising a lot about the annual wellness visit. And trying to get people interested in coming in for the annual wellness visit. So we've actually done a fair amount to to think very much from a patient's perspective. How would patients really want to come in and do these visits? And I think one of the biggest take home was communicate, right? Make sure the patients know, make sure you're talking to the patients about these types of visits, that they understand what these visits are. Don't expect, again, somebody to come in wanting the physical, and then they're not getting a physical, they're getting this. Um, I didn't know if there was anything else, Marie, that you wanted to add about that day or what we learned together.
6: Well, the best thing ever was to learn that always and not but, so that every idea was acceptable that was presented that day, mm-hmm. because some of them were things that one might think, oh, I don't dare say this. Yeah, they'll think, I'm, yeah. way off. Mm-hmm. And um, some of those were the very best ideas. So for from a lifetime perspective, that for me was a uh, very great yeah. practice. yeah, um, but I think it, again, edu- education is the key mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and
6: the conversation, so
0: right.
1: And you know, I have to say to you, um although this does sound a little silly, is that so many of the of, of the process changes we make, so much of what happens in healthcare is not done with patients. It's not done with patients. It's done by providers. It's done by administrators. It's it's done by the bean counters. With with all good intention, right? But just it's it's very very hard. Believe it or not. Um, to engage patients in some of these decisions. It doesn't sound so hard, but it is hard. Part of the grant that we have, some of the work that, that this supported this work, is to, and that's where Dan Moran is today, is to work with primary care practices across, we're actually doing it in three states now, to help them improve the way they provide care to older adults. Part of it is this annual wellness visit. Part of the grant is actually having them embed patients, families, and caregivers into their practices. Not just around QI projects, but actually to have patients so engaged in everything that's done in that practice to ensure that it is, you know, person-centered. And I think uh, when we talk about this health risk assessment, it's done in any number of ways. It can be done on the computer at home through what we call the patient portal, right? We call that MyDH. Mm -hmm. It can also be done on a tablet when you come in for your visit. Has anybody here used the tablets when they came in? And how do you find those tablets?
2: Very hard to decide between one and 10. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. To me, uh, yeah. I've actually used them, I, I just, I've not had a good experience with the tablets. Um, I, I do the survey at, on the computer and it works beautifully, um, yeah, um, but again, um, we'll we'll talk about that um, a little bit. I
0: just want to make sure I heard correctly. Um, so the people who come here for their primary care are now not part of the ACO, is it? Correct. Okay. Correct. In Lebanon, yeah. But then are we also not part?
1: able to participate? Oh, no, 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 no. no! That's... I'm no, confused no. about that. Yeah. Distinction. Okay. That was just this $25 opportunity that Medicare is paying okay. the $25. That's what that is. That's all that has to do with that. And that's, again, because they're trying to get more people in um, to have this visit done. Um, yeah, my, my girlfriend just had this done, and they did blood work. Is she going to get charged for that blood work? <laughs> Great question. So. What Medicare tells us, and these are all the Medicare rules. These have really nothing to do with us. What they say is that in the course of an annual wellness visit, if a patient asks a question or has a minor issue that they want, you know, oh, could you look at this mold? Do I have to go to the dermatologist for this? Then that's part of the, then you don't charge anybody. However, if the patient says to you, you know, I'm really not feeling well. I've had this cough. Um, I wonder if you could listen to my lungs. I mean, if it becomes a bigger issue other than like a quick yes or no kind of thing, then we actually have to code it differently, right? Mm -hmm. So Medicare says to us, you're committing fraud. If you do this for this patient and you're not billing it the way you should be billing it, you're committing fraud, even if it's, you know, changing what the, pay, what the copay is for that patient. So what they're saying is, you don't decide what the co-, all that stuff. We've decided that. It's your role and your responsibility to code appropriately for that visit. So when I say code, that means when we see a patient uh, and we have to not only obviously write a note and review a lot of things, but we actually have to put in a billing code, right, mm-hmm. as a provider. So we need to know what those codes are and what those codes mean. Some of the codes are based on the amount of time we spend with a patient. Some of those codes are based on the type of a visit, like a physical exam. As you know, Medicare does not pay for a physical exam. Um, And a lot of our patients have co-insurance, so the co-insurance does pick up a lot. The question specifically that was asked was about blood work. Right? Blood work is not part of this visit, so if you had blood work ordered, then you would pay whatever you would pay for blood work that was not part of this visit. Um, so again, a lot of patients have coinsurance, so they don't pay for blood work. They don't, no, there's no out-of-pocket expense no. for blood work, so it would really depend. But yes, this no blood work is no, covered. They would order it, no. Right. It could be ordered at the visit, right? Like, it could be ordered at any time. We order blood work all the time for patients when they're not seen in the office. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the patient not charged for it. They're charged for it for sure, even though if it's not part of a visit.
7: It seems like there's a value judgment here that if the provider gets paid if it's considered an office visit but doesn't get paid if it's a Medicare wellness visit, it would be a temptation to call that an office visit. So, no, the physician still gets paid for this. Oh, yeah,
1: the physician. But a different amount, right? A different amount, right? So, interestingly enough, at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, we providers, we have no idea what the hospital gets for our visits. And that is very intentional. (laughs) But one is considered a wellness and one is considered a regular, right? right. Mm -hmm. Right, and it's intentional because we shouldn't, it doesn't, it shouldn't really matter to what we shouldn't be thinking about what they would call upcoding, right? We're not here to make a profit for the hospital, right? And, and, and so there's pros and cons about working as a clinician in an academic medical center, right? And working for a corporation, right? My paycheck doesn't change if I was doing 10 of these or I was doing 50 of these. My paycheck doesn't change. Right. Mm-hmm. Now you could say in a, you know, certainly in a capitalistic world, if you were in private practice, you could do things that you would generate more money for practice for better or worse. Right. But that's generally not the case here, because, again, we're all employees. So our salaries don't change. And that what is in part why we're really kept very separate from the finance. So actually, patients will say, how much does that cost? We don't know. Which is not necessarily great, but it—I mean—I think what we are told is that we refer people to our billing office to find out about.
6: So I had an, um, I went to all this training and knew—I thought I knew quite a bit about both visits. I had both visits, um, and I got the paperwork from Medicare, and so it was very confusing. So I went to the financial office, and the story is that. Doctors are not allowed, so providers are not allowed to bill for two visits in one day. And so, if you have your wellness visit and your physical exam on the same day, though the billing is bundled, and so it came in such a way that it was telling me the annual wellness visit wasn't paid for. And so, I went there and got it straightened out. And. Uh, Actually, the fee was for the annual, for the physical, which doesn't get paid for. But it was very confusing. So if people are going to do this, if they're like me and examine the Medicare charges, Mm -hmm. I was thrown a curveball, but I said, oh, they'll fix it. Well, actually they did because the the people in the financial office know what they're doing. And they're very interested kind and they know me. So he, I got an instruction in billing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so but it can sh- do, because it threw me. Um, right, because so, it was a bundled up together, right. yeah, which can and be extremely confusing. Those
6: bundle, because I'm dealing with paperwork that has everything spelled out and it doesn't match.
1: Um, right,
6: right. That's why I don't do call billing. I go in because I don't see the bundle and when I'm with somebody, they know what I'm talking about because I have the figures right there. I
1: think that is absolute the best advice. Go in there. Mm-hmm. Go in there. You try to talk to people on the phone and it can become even more confusing than when you started out.
6: Because they're, they, they don't have the knowledge to undo the bundling to figure out what I'm asking. And in the office, no. they do. Yeah. In the financial office,
1: mm-hmm. they have it. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, the first thing that happens, or the first thing I should say that should happen, when you call to make this appointment, the, the secretary should ask you, you're making an annual wellness visit, do you know what that is? That's not a physical, that, so they should be explaining to you when you call. Um, and what, what is again, the model that we have developed, and a lot of that was based on some of the work that I was talking about before, is that this is a nurse run visit um, sometimes in some locations and again and this is up to some of the, the physicians that they will have this it done in the same day so you may see a nurse and then you would see the physician on the same day some of them are a couple of days beforehand some of them are just doing it completely independently like you would just come in for your wellness visit and maybe you would at some point down the road you would come in for your physical they don't, necessarily have to be done together um, this actually can only be done once in a 365 days it's not a calendar year it's your year um, so that w- is also what the secretary looks at when they schedule this to make sure that you are eligible that it's not 364 days and so they look at that when they when they book the visit. When they book the visit, that's when they begin also to talk to you about this, okay? So this is what's called a health risk assessment. Um, We refer to these as patient-reported measures. So what we know is that the more information we can glean from patients about anything, right, not just about wellness, but anything that they're coming in for, right, the better off we are. So when you go in for all kinds of appointments, you're asked these kind of standard questions, right, and we call those patient-reported measures. Medicare essentially dictates what it is that we're screening for. They don't dictate the questions necessarily, but they say, you must screen for falls. You must screen for cognitive issues. You must screen for alcohol abuse. So they tell you what you have to screen for. And then we create questions in such a way to make it most efficient.
7: So why do they ask if you're single or married, and how does that apply, whether you're white or African-American? I don't see that it has anything to do with your health. Okay. Uh, well, there is certain
1: demographic. Well, maybe, maybe uh, but there are certain. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and I think it's extremely important, certainly as a provider. Um, hopefully, I'll know whether you're male or female, and uh, you know. <laughs> not necessary. Yeah. I'm um, <laughs> right. Especially since this is not a physical, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but it's it's important to us to know, in the context of your life, certainly what your social situation is. Is it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so again, the the health the annual wellness visit is really based on this health risk assessment. Yeah years ago, I mean, a lot of this was done at the office, when you got to the office, and sometimes it was done actually sitting there with a provider asking these questions. Um, What we find is that a lot of patients do prefer that they do it on the computer at home. Certainly saves time um, for them to come into the office and sit and do it. Um, There's also, again, the tablets, which, you know, I think if, I. I think if they had um, better tablets, I think the tablets for some reason that they use seem to be challenging, um, or paper. And so what we try to do is that, um, again, back to efficiency, if a patient completes the questionnaire on the computer, and how that is done is when you make your appointment How many people here are connected to the patient portal? Actually are in MyDH. Okay, so a lot of people. So what happens is when anything is what we call pushed into MyDH, any messages, any lab work, any anything, you're sent an email, right? And it says something happened there, you better get on and take a look, there's a message or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So when the visit is made, it's the secretary who pushes out the questionnaire into your MyDH. And you get an email and then you go on and it says, this is what you, this is, you have a questionnaire to complete. Um, when you complete that questionnaire uh, in the computer that we've sent to you, when we sit down to write our notes, I just hit one button and that entire questionnaire comes populated into my notes. So I actually immediately see the responses to your questions. Um, So that's the best way to do it. That's the most efficient way to do it. If you come in and do it in a tablet, I can also pull it in. Um, So what we're trying to do is we're trying to have actually, to have a paper version that matches what's in the computer. So our staff can just go in and take this and put it in. But that's the least efficient way, of course, is to try to convert the paper into what's in, what's in the record. Um, so I was, you asked a question before, should you complete this before you go in? I think uh, I'll say it depends. It's better if you complete it on the computer um, when you're sent that questionnaire. And if I was making the appointment, I would ask the secretary and say, are you sending me the questionnaire that I have to fill out? Um, We send out different questionnaires for different types of visits. So for physicals, we will also send out a different type of questionnaire for patients. Um, And what we're trying to do now is when we're doing these combined visits, to make sure that it's just this that's being sent out, that we don't send somebody two questionnaires that have the exact same information on it. Um, so I think what I'd like to do is to kind of walk through this and, and talk a little bit about some of the questions and why these questions are asked, and what potentially would some of the things that we would think about in terms of referring you, or what would what would we be thinking about in terms of best practice should you screen positive for some of this. Um, So again, the first page is really about demographic data. Um, And then on the next page you see it says um, self-assessment. And one of the most important things for us is asking patients how they feel. How do you rate your health, right? Um, There's been actually a lot of studies done on asking patients um, about their health, but also asking them, how confident are you that you can manage any of your health or your wellness? How confident are you? The more confident you are, the, the, the much greater chance you have uh, of, of reducing what we call morbidity or illness. Mm. Um, because when people say they're confident, um, that means that they know how to manage their diet. They know about exercise. They know about all the things that um, we talk to patients about to keep themselves healthy. Um, somebody who was confident in managing their diabetes would keep their blood sugar under much better control than somebody who has absolutely no confidence. And when, when somebody responds that they have no confidence, then
7: that means we have a lot of work to do. Right? If you've made out one of these, say, like two or three years ago, do they have that on file so they compare how you may have changed? Like, you can do, you could have done certain things before, but now you have trouble doing it, or that doesn't make any difference? Um, that's a great question. So they are available to us.
1: I'm not sure specifically, I guess it depends on the question. If someone were to look back, right, to see where you were last year in terms of your mobility or in terms of, you know, we would certainly look back when we look at somebody's lab work, for example. The way it comes up on the screen, we see all the lab work that you've had in the last, the last year. So we can immediately scan and see anything that's changed. A little harder to do what you said, but certainly worthwhile um, in terms of, of where you were, say, a year ago. Um, so again, we kind of ask these general questions about your health, and we ask about pain. Now. We refer to pain as what we call the fifth vital sign, right? Meaning the vital signs are what: blood pressure, pulse, respirations, um, and your temperature. Um, and so, why do we? Why do you think it's important that we ask people about pain, especially older
7: people? Your mental health? Would that be how you view yourself mentally? Well, you can have certainly have no. I meant emotional health. pain. Some people will have pain, like my husband never admits to pain, but I know he has a bad back. That's different than somebody who was saying, oh, my, my back is aching. That would make a difference, wouldn't it? Absolutely. If you um, do what we do know is that many, many, many older
1: adults underreport pain, exactly mm-hmm. what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. And they are not necessarily forthcoming. So we have to ask. It's important for us to ask because, again, there's a lot of myths about pain. For example, well, I'm 85. Like, I probably should have some pain. But pain is not a normal part of aging. And there's a lot of things we can do for pain um, besides opioids. Um, so it's really, really important. And many of you know that when you come in for your any routine visits, you're actually asked that question, right? You're given that sheet when you register. That kind of purple sheet that mm-hmm. you're given and you're asked to check off. <clears throat> Could I
0: just insert that once I didn't get it completed and I said to my physician, oh, I didn't complete it, and she said, that's okay, I never look at them anyway.
7: Oh, I've heard that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well,
7: oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about
0: that? <laughs> <laughs> In every profession. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get perfection everywhere.
7: Right. So...
1: <laughs> I can say part of that is. So what happens, the process is that the medical assistant actually takes that sheet and puts that into the your note. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. One would hope that she- that's <laughs> being looked at. Okay. Or that there's a process whereby the medical assistant actually alerts the provider to say, mm-hmm. did you see that Mrs. Jones is paying today? is an eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But... I'm. I know that you that that people have said that people have said that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Then we do ask some questions, actually, about um, your level of activity. Um, We ask, as you can see here on page three, um, about not only physical activity um, but climbing the stairs. Satisfaction with social activities. Yes. Back to the pain. Uh, If the physician orders something for the pain, is that going to make it not a wellness visit? No, that would absolutely be covered. So, let's say you reported that you have pain and the physician says, you know, I think maybe a course of physical therapy would help your back. That is still a free visit. Now, is the physical therapy free? No. no, you have a copay for physical therapy. 80% of it is covered. And again, most people have a, you know, a secondary insurance. So again, all those costs for those services uh, would be a standard fee as, as it usually would. But the visit would still be free. Um, and again, if you said, you know, I have severe pain on my lower, you know, right quadrant, um, and uh, for whatever reason, for whatever you say to the to the provider, they decide to examine you, and the provider finds a mass, and then they send you for further tests, that visit would be converted to a an acute sick visit, because they, again... The, it required more than just what they were doing in terms of a health risk assessment. They actually examined you and referred you for further testing and found something. But Medicare won't pay. Medicare would, would pay as they normally would. You're right. It would not be a, an. Ad, it would be more than just a wellness visit. Hmm. But that would be if you took your clothes off, they examined you, then it becomes a very different visit than just a wellness visit, right?
6: The whole visit, Ellen, or just a portion? Um,
1: it would be, um, they. what they would do is they would add what we call an E&M code. So it would be part of the visit that would be, again, billed, billed to Medicare. But the but the wellness visit would be charged just as you had it done, Marie. Okay.
8: Mm-hmm. Isn't this a waste of money? Because you have to have two visits. You have to have your wellness visit and your physical visit visit, so it's not only wasting my time, it's also wasting the physician's time because we can do it all in one thing, and this is how insurances waste
1: money. So I guess if you wanted to be there for two and a half hours, so this essentially is an extra visit that you're getting for free, right? And this is not necessarily covered. You would not be sitting there with your physician for two hours, right, for a physical. Huh. No. Wouldn't give no. you that much time, right? <laughs> right. No. So this is you're spending almost an hour with a nurse, and then you're having your physical with your physician, and then you would be spending forty minutes or whatever it is that you would be spending as part of the physical.
8: And the other interesting thing also is your physicals are every three hundred and sixty-five days, but your medications are. are, are you know, if you fill them up, they give you thirty days at a time. What you're going to do with those months that have thirty-one days? You know, eventually you've got you're going to be short five days or six days mm-hmm. in the year. But you still have to wait. You know, another
1: week to go and see your. Otherwise, you're going to pay for the visit. Well, the physical you don't. They don't pay for the physical anyway. Yeah. So You could come in and see the doctor just like you would. For the physical it doesn't. You know, in other words, you could come into the doctor for your physical in 11 months. They don't pay for it anyway,
7: right?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, insurance no. does pay for it. I, on the insurance that we have, anyway, yeah, you know, it's once a year. So, it, you know, it's 300 and actually 61. So right. So have? some people do have something. like days. Medicare
1: Advantage, right?
4: Do you have so, Medicare
1: Advantage? So Medicare Advantage actually pays for a physical, or an employer plan. Right, right. Some plans actually do pay for physical. But I security. understand what my
4: wife is saying because we've had that happen. Whereas, you know, because of the way the insurance covers it, we don't see the doctor until July. But our we've used up all of our medications in June. But we have to go see the doctor to get new prescriptions filled. Yes, we get ninety
1: days times four, times four weeks. Right. So, doesn't your provider just send in the prescriptions before the visit? Well, don't you think they should see you before they renew prescriptions? So,
8: I, I'm sorry, I'm a nurse, and and it, it, this is one of my big bugaboos. Is that you should have your physical month, like say the month of June, and you can go in any day within that month, if you for your physical and renewal of your prescriptions and what have you, and not wait three hundred and sixty six days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. yep no, I think you have a point I, mean, insur- I have argued with insurances because I think they waste money mm-hmm. oh, then at, then at, at, who, at my too. expense mm-hmm. that's yeah. sure. mm-hmm. because I've been able to get things cheaper than the place they tell me to go and get it
7: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. well I think that that's an interesting point and I, I think What's what's happened now is people are shopping, right? People are shopping around for but, Well to bring to make it more personal, diabetic strips
8: and and the Lancets. You can only get them at DMEs. But we have phone DMEs all in within the area? No. No, no, we don't we've stopped providing that. But can't I go to Walmart and get it cheaper?
1: Yes. But no, they won't cover it if I go to Walmart. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, we could spend a whole session on... uh, on, uh,
8: And and, and I experienced it with with a place where they would provide it and I saw what that pharmacy's or DME's prices were and I compared it to Walmart and
1: Walmart was $10 cheaper. So you're telling me... Right, but the insurance company won't pay for you to get it done at Walmart. That's right, and I've argued with them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think you have a great point. I just had a patient who had a cushion for her wheelchair delivered to her house, the cushion was $40, it was a piece of junk anyway, $40, and then they charged 50 for the, you ready for this, Not as, for the setup. Oh, This what was the, the setup, what setup? Well, the cushion, oh. that's what it was, oh, oh, God. oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that was that was the DME company that wasn't no insurance was even going to cover it. So I think yeah I mean I we could talk about a lot of stories, that's for sure. Did you have a question? You,
3: you have said that <clears throat> Medicare does not pay for a uh, physical. If if you ha- if you are grandfathered like I am into an old obsolete plan J, they will pay a hundred bucks.
1: Yeah right, and, and I should and clarify your,
3: your, that your uh, <clears throat> office in in. in uh, uh, Lebanon uh, does not recognize that most of the time. I have to call them and tell them, yes, I ain't covered for...
1: 100%. Right, right. And there are some managed care, Medicare managed care companies, that contracts that do cover physicals. So there are some exceptions. Right now, it's about 10%. We have about 26,000 Medicare patients across our system, and about 10% have Medicare Advantage or another plan um that that would actually pay for physical
2: so let's let's um can i I just ask one question Mm -hmm. because you said it was so important to recognize pain and to report pain i think you need a better question or maybe some sub questions in that category because different kinds of pain different locations different frequencies and i might tell you that i'm aching all over and my rate is eight or nine well, what was the problem? They're not shoveling the
1: snow. <laughs> right. So I think it, that's a great question. Uh, and I think it is really up to the provider when somebody screens positive for anything, right? So if you said that you were sad or if you were whatever, if you screen positive for depression, um, it would be my job to start having a, a bigger conversation with you. So if you screen positive for pain, the provider should say, tell me more about that. What do we want to know about pain? We want to know location. We want to know what makes it worse, what makes it better, how long it's happened. Right. But on Was the other any- hand,
2: if, if, if I'm a, an active uh, person who, who's trying to take care of my own wellness, I, I, I know I've been shoveling, so I'm rating it one or two.
4: Yeah. But in
2: fact, I have serious making this up because I don't, thank God, Yeah. I have serious arthritis or I have a lesion or I have something wrong with something somewhere.
1: Right, and I think, you know, again, that's really my job to figure out when you said, if you said yes, to say, tell me more about it, and you would say, I've just been shoveling and my wrists are killing me. And again, well,
2: my, my point is I wouldn't report
1: You it. wouldn't report it, yeah, yeah. Well, I think again, I mean, we've given classes here on pain, the underreporting reporting pain, and a lot of times, older adults under-report pain, number one, they don't want more testing, right? They're, they're and, and, and rightly so, right? People say, oh, I've been having this pe- x-ray, right? Or, oh, well, maybe we better get this test done, or maybe we better do that, or maybe I should give you a pill. Maybe you want a
2: pill for that pain, right? Wow. Maybe, according to some of my relatives. <laughs> I don't want to find out goes, you know. Yes. Yeah. Right, right.
1: So there's a lot of reasons why people underreport pain. What we don't want to see is we don't want people to underreport pain because if they tell their provider they have pain, the provider goes, huh?
7: Yeah. You're 80. Yeah, you're, you're 80. 80. <laughs> you're yeah. What do you expect?
1: Yeah, exactly, which is a a terrible (laughs) answer, by the way. The other one is also 80 and it's just (laughs) (laughs) fine. Exactly, exactly. Um, So again, going down to page four, so we screen for depression. Um, We screen for sleeping issues, for fatigue, we talk about diet. We ask questions about not only mood um, but anxiety and worrying, Um, and again, all these things help us to think about, again, is there a possibility that you're having some depression, and let's talk a little bit more about that and how we could potentially think about treating a depression, Um, and there is not just medicines to treat depression, there's other things as well. Um, And as we go on here, if we go to page five, certainly asking about sexual activity, weight loss or gain, concerns about somebody's weight, alcohol. Um, Very interesting, Um, if I were to get, you know, uh, I don't know, a hundred doctors in a room, and I would ask them about their practice about screening older adults um, for their um, um, any sexual issues that they have or alcohol issues. It's not done. It's really not done. It's uh, which is sad. Um, but again, I think they don't ask necessarily 20-year-olds either. Um, but certainly are much less likely to ask older adults. Um, and I think, so if we were to think about certainly alcohol use, what we know is when uh, alcohol use can be much more dangerous to older adults than younger adults, um, and when that's not addressed or when that's um, um, not discussed or there's not any uh, identification that somebody may be what we might call a risky drinker. then that just sets somebody up for a lot of problems. And I'll have patients tell me all the time I have had, you know, two Manhattans every night since I was 25. Uh, and I'm just fine. Thank you very much. And then we'll talk about why that's different. Why is two Manhattans like really probably like four Manhattans when you were 25? And when you think about somebody drinking four Manhattans, you're like, Wow, that's a, that's, a, you know, but that's essentially the the the, the mm-hmm. behaviors, the concerns, the effects of alcohol um, on an eighty-year-old kidneys mm-hmm. and an eighty-year-old liver. Um, the the effects are much much greater. Um, so then we talk to people about what's risky drinking and what is, what are our concerns about that. Um, does somebody have a medical alert system and talking to them about that? And what do I mean by that? And how could that potentially help them? Um, asking safety questions like smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors in their home. Um, I mean, I think everybody here would admit that it's pretty rare that on your physical exam that your doctor's asking you if you have a carbon monoxide detector yet. Yet, we see every, right, in the paper, in the wintertime, we see at least a report of somebody locally um, getting into trouble because of carbon monoxide poisoning. Driving, the big question that we're faced with all the time here is about driving. And part of this grant that I was telling you about in terms of primary care, is really helping primary care providers to think about what are they doing in terms of assessing folks' capacity to drive. Um, and there are certainly some, uh, some questions that we ask if somebody is concerned about their driving. Um, most people, who, even if they are concerned about their own driving, are not telling us that they're concerned about their driving. Um, we usually get reports from other people Um, Although there are some people that are um, very well aware and conscious and will actually stop driving on their own, um, which is certainly extremely commendable, Um, but I think that's probably one of the things that is one of the hardest things that we do in the office is is to talk to somebody that they can't drive anymore and that they shouldn't drive anymore. Um, And we've had classes here and we've talked about it a lot here about when that happens and and how we help people. Um, But that is is certainly a concern. And then certainly asking somebody, do you have transportation? How are you getting around? Um, And that's always, of course, the biggest problem about somebody not driving around here is now what? And again, just asking generally about their activities of daily living. Um, we are very, very concerned about people's falls risk. Um, as you know, um, falls are a huge, huge problem, in, with older adults. Um, and some of the biggest issues are, number one, not only the, the, certainly the disability that it causes in terms of pain, in terms of potential fractures, but when we look at somebody's mortality, um, and we think about somebody who's falling a lot, and somebody has a, the the biggest risk factor to fall is that you've had a fall. Um, So when we see somebody who's fallen, say, twice, um, that is a huge, huge issue for us to think about, you are gonna fall again. The risk of you falling again is really, really high. So how can we stop you from falling? And we have a lot of ways to stop people from falling, which is terrific. Um, But unless you're asking those questions, um, and again, there's very few providers who really understand um, uh, why they should be so concerned about people who are falling and what they can do about it. Um, We have another grant that we've actually trained people throughout Vermont and New Hampshire in two programs. One is Matter of Balance, and we run that program here. And the other is Tai Chi Chuan, Moving for Better Balance. And those classes we actually have across the street. Um, and those are what we call evidence-based falls prevention programs. Um, so the Centers for Disease Control have sanctioned, I think, about 10 different what they call evidence-based falls prevention programs, um, and those two are on the list. Um, so the grant that we had was really to, um, train trainers across the states and to work with all different types of partners. So we actually have trained people at the aquatic center, we've trained people at the senior center in Lebanon and in Hanover, Um, at CCB, we've trained people at all the health clubs, YMCA's throughout the state, for them to actually then run classes for older adults. And um, part of this is that they, in order to get this free training, and the training is not cheap, the training is about $2,000 for a, uh, you know, a trainer. They don't have to be physical therapists. They can be people who just exercise and have some idea of exercise. Um, and then uh, we've asked them that they have to provide those classes either free or for a very small fee um, for older adults throughout the state in an effort to get a lot of older adults engaged in these in these falls prevention classes. Um, okay. So,
6: I have a great story about Tai Chi Quan, if mm-hmm. you don't mind my sharing? Yeah, So, please do. I was taking this Tai Chi Quan, which is, and it's different than Tai Chi. It's The purpose is to, to, they use the forms of Tai Chi, but to help you prevent falls by making you go further, to the point where you almost fall, and then mm-hmm. under their supervision. So anyway, I was in this class a couple of months, and somebody and I were at the Dairy Swirl in Lebanon, if anybody's been there, those funny cement (laughs) stairs that go up. So I'm on the top platform trying to read the choices and I fall backwards, I scream and I, I don't know how but I landed on my feet with my back to the ice cream stand and the young kid who was selling ice cream calls out, Oh my! What a save! <laughs> and it wasn't until mm-hmm. two o'clock in the morning when I I woke up. I said, "I'm in my own bed," <laughs> and I think it has something to do with tai chi. Wow! Um, mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. It was you just amazing in a certain way. That's mm-hmm. I don't know what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't. It happened no. so
6: fast. Yeah. But I landed on my feet. And oh, wow. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And we when we heard other stories like that as well. So when you exercise or you do something, right, you gain what we call muscle memory, right? So your body remembers that, right? So when we think about what Marie was talking about, it's about full recovery, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody trips all the time, right? You trip, your trip, your your foot gets stuck, or you're at a rough, uh, you know, cement step or whatever, right? And you can remember as you're younger, right? You catch yourself, right? You see kids all the time, and they go crazy. And well, what happens when you do the Tai Chi? Is that the idea is to to build your muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to build your muscle strength for sure, around how you would recover, right? but your body remembers, oh, right, that was that Tai Chi move, right? Exactly. What, and when you watch the Tai Chi, um, it actually, you know, the positions that people get into are certainly like balanced positions, right? So it's like being on one foot and, and all, yeah. but what you're doing is you're training your muscles to remember that. So when you do actually uh, uh, potentially fall, um, that hopefully you'll, over. yeah, yeah. You, exactly, that that will take over. It was so. stunning. It
6: was stunning. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I actually just got back from Cuba. Um, I led a geriatric delegation to really explore the health care of older adults in Cuba, and the Tai Chi was huge. Like you would see in like city parks, and a lot of cities you'll see this um, in the morning, oh, yeah. So we actually our driver pulled over and we got out of the bus and started to talk to the leader um, about these these classes and these programs. And you know certainly as you know, Cuba has a uh, you know universal health coverage um, so to speak, and she had been trained by the government. Um, so interesting though, when again, what we're trying to do now, we're trying to say, to the Accountable Care Organization, NextGen, right, that uh, what they should do is be providing these classes for free, Uh, so they should be training people and providing these classes for free um, because it actually would save a lot of money.
2: Um, A program like the CPR program would be great because it doesn't have to be a professional, as you suggest, it could be, your friend, it could be just somebody standing on the sidewalk next to you when they see what's happening. And uh, my reaction to this with all these questions is, what instructions or suggestions should you give to people who receive this? Why am I getting this? Why am I assessing how much pain, or how many times I've felt or how many drinks I have? Um, it should be something that says, if you come up with a number that is more than X, it's time to report it to somebody. Because there are a lot of people who, unless somebody sees that they aren't driving well, are gonna continue driving not well. Mm -hmm. If somebody sees that third drink of whatever it was, Muzuki or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's a lot more that can be done with this to make it many more times more useful than just giving it to your provider, because... You
1: well, I think the know. obligation is on us, right? The obligation is on us, and that's the whole point of having this hour visit, that we will actually go through this with somebody. We and to take these home. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, the, I think that's part of this visit, is that it's not just about completing a questionnaire. But
7: these are self
2: selected people. These are people who already are concerned about wellness. <laughs> there was that yeah, the word wellness just, that, 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 that brought really me good. in. Right, but these aren't distributed. No, but why not? That's what I'm saying. I mean, you have little groups for playing bridge. You have groups for playing bingo. Let's have a self-assessment group. And the women's, showing my age, the women's group that was developed. And we got together and just talked about what it is to be a woman, what we like, what we didn't like, how we could make it better, and who doesn't know about it that should know it. Mm-hmm. But is that last one? Who doesn't know about it who should know about mm-hmm. it? That this may fall into a cylindrical basket and stay there. Big black hole.
1: No, I, no, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I think the more classes we
2: can run, and the more you can talk to people about well, it. My point: it doesn't have to be you, the professional provider. DHMC. No, I wouldn't stay as far away from that place as, as I can. The only place time I'm going to is when I fell and break. Or I fall and I break my leg or I right or you know, whatever. Um, I think it's a job for the community. Just mm-hmm. like policing you sidewalks, you see somebody who's leaving trash on the sidewalk. Say, hey neighbor, this we don't do that in this neighborhood. Yeah. How about picking it out? Has mm-hmm. anybody of you ever been involved in any of the aging in place initiatives?
1: So those are kind of grassroots groups that have formed in communities. Are they aware of this? Um, so I think it depends. I think some of the aging in place initiatives are actually looking at risks and are actually asking questions of people. I think most of them are focused a lot on environments and people living oh, and and right and and doing a lot of like more home safety assessments, like help your neighbor type thing, and making people aware um, of their neighbors and the neighborhood. Um,
2: but again, they're already focused on wellness. Right. I would say well, a library should have this and say. Hey, how healthy are you? What are your, your risk factors? Mm-hmm. Take a look at this, and at least you yourself get to know. Oh, gee. Pain, well, I don't think I have much, but on the other hand.
7: And there should be some information. Yeah.
2: It. So I would
1: strongly recommend you to go and look at something. I would love to get your reaction to this. Um, there's a website. It's called How's Your Health. Um, and it was uh, developed by uh, Dr. John Wasson, who actually has an office right here. Um, he's an emeritus professor of geriatrics here, was kind of the first geriatrician. Um, it's a, a tool that's very well-known nationally. Um, and it does exactly what you say, what you're, what you're talking about. It actually walks you through the responses to these questions. And then at the end, the beauty of this, and he actually has a health risk assessment for the, for the uh, wellness visit on there too. And then at the end, it prints, you can print out everything that you screen positive for and what you could do about it.
2: Hmm. I, I don't mean this as criticism. Yeah. I just think it's a wonderful tool that can be used to a much greater advantage than it is. We're now having groups who are excited about health care because of the money, because yep. of the insurance. Why aren't those groups who are getting together to talk about what's happening in legislation why aren't they saying, by the way, you're here, you're concerned about your health, here's a way to reduce costs. Look at this, make your own assessment. Assess your brother, assess your mother, assess your kids.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the how more... You, next question, how
7: do I make that happen? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> through the senior center might be one way. Yeah. yeah. Medicare
0: does some promotion of this uh, annual wellness visit. I mean. I'm, I'm sure they could do more, but they do some and you get a notice saying here's what preventive services you're um, eligible for and when oh yeah everybody who's on Medicare should get that notice. I mean it's just it's a start
1: right and, and I do have to say I mean you know we're preaching to, I'm preaching to the choir here you're here obviously you're concerned. But um I think gaining getting some traction on that is, is challenging at times for many different reasons. But but that
2: doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. But I sure. make a suggestion. I don't know how many people are here, but it's more than I have in my kitchen. And so <laughs> if everybody who gets one of these talk to one neighbor or two neighbors or half a dozen bring people for a cup of coffee and say, Look, I just attended this great program. Wanna hear about it? Um Yeah. Just think of
7: what will
1: happen? Yeah. So based on that innovation network that, well, that, that we did, we came up with going to the to the flu clinics, right? Because we had you know a captive audience, right? So we all had big buttons. In fact, I have a couple of buttons inside. Ask me about the annual wellness visit, and so we bombarded people who were online, and we were pushy, and we said, "Come on, don't you want to schedule this visit?" Um, and it was interesting because. <coughs> What do you think people wanted to do when they came for their for their flu shot? Have of They wanted to get in and get out. Right.
7: Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It wasn't. And we had a fantasy <clears throat> that we could have like an exam room set up, like a private office set up, right? And we could offer that to people. Like, we'll do it right now. You want it done? We can do it right now. No. Nobody want. They wanted to come in and they wanted to go. Which I think, in part. <clears throat> has to do with expectations, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't say to people, when you're coming for your flu shot, would you like to schedule? So you come there knowing, I'm going to be there for an hour, and I'm going to get my flu shot, and I'm going to get this as well. Um, so I think we have a lot of work to do. To try. But it's building, and I'm thrilled to hear all of this. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But and this has been going on for a couple,
5: three years.
1: Oh, the wellness well, visit has been in existence for a long time. Yeah. Right, right, right. The very first one
5: when they gave it. And I think... But the I doctor think, did it, you know. Course, right. And they did a few things. Yeah. She could examine your breast. She could, you know, look in your mouth. She could check your heart without, you know... But if you had another problem, you had to come back another day. Oh, gee, I've got knee pain. Well, you come back you know,
1: next right. week, and we'll check on that. Right. Well,
5: that's a well, we'll waste of money. Right. That.
1: <laughs> so the one piece of really good news here is that Medicare will also pay for you to have a conversation with your provider about advanced care planning. So that is really good because that takes a lot of time to have a very thoughtful conversation with people about their values, what they want and what they don't want, who they want to help make decisions for them. So Medicare, there's a special billing code that we can tag on to any other visit um, when we spend uh, 20 minutes talking to you about this. And there's a copay for the visit, however, If it's done with the annual wellness visit, no copay. (laughs) So that's great because it actually is something we can add on to this and have the conversation and talk a lot more about it and then you you don't have to pay the copay. Um, So we are now in the process of trying to figure that out. How do we incorporate that into this visit? And that's of course if you don't already have an advance directive. Um, about 30% of Medicare recipients have an advanced directive, so not a lot of people. Hmm. Yeah, you think, oh, well and again, here I am preaching to the choir. Probably most everybody in this room has an advanced directive already. Um, yeah. I can't make that yes. I'm a uh, retired
3: engineer and doctors are normally not happy when they have a patient who's an engineer because we are naturally more curious about things, we want to know more, we ask tons of questions. So when I go in for a wellness visit, I'm assuming that the amount of questions I can ask and the complexity of these questions is going to be completely determined by the person that's interviewing me. Is that true?
1: Um, well, I think they're able to respond to, to what it is that you're asking, I think absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think it depends. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, my daughter is an engineer, and she has to have some minor surgery. And so she went to the surgeon, and she she said to him, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have a lot of questions. But she blamed it on me. She because <laughs> my mom, you understand, is going to ask me a lot of questions. So you were asking your own, you're an engineer you were asking all the right questions but throw me under the bus but anyway yeah yeah, yeah. so ultimately he said mind you she's 40 he said well if your mom wants to call me <laughs> if your mom is still concerned yeah i was just as concerned as she was but yeah but anyway yeah so i know all about engineers yeah 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 and i'll just reassure you when we had this innovation uh, den, this network, that's what we wanted. We wanted the engineers there because it was the engineers. Engineers like think very differently um, about life in general. Um, but the way that they think in terms of uh, so, for example, we do something called process mapping, right? Mm-hmm. So again, when does the patient come in? What when does the patient? When does the patient know they need this? Starts there, right? That they know this. And, and then what happens when they call, right? What does the secretary say? Then what does the secretary do? And that kind of walking you through the entire process all the way through, if somebody screened positive for falls, were they referred to a falls prevention program? Um, were they referred for physical therapy? If they had screened positive for depression or risky alcohol use, what, what did you do, right? Because that's the most important thing at the end of this what has happened with that patient, um, as opposed to, oh yeah, well I know you screen positive for pain, but I really never look at that anyway. So you know, <laughs> that's the last thing that, that we certainly wanna hear. Um, in the last 15 minutes, I'd just like to open it up for discussion and just hear from you um, what you think about this visit. and if you've had the visit, and I know some of you had, and and what would be some of your suggestions for us in terms of, of making the whole process better? I have a question
9: about prescriptions. Mm-hmm. So if you're a healthy person, and I'm fairly young, just on Medicare, so this will be my first year not to get a physical. So what happens with, if you have chronic conditions, let's say high cholesterol, I mean, is that nurse just gonna say, Okay, it's been a year and I tell her my prescription's expired? Is she just gonna tell somebody to write me a new one? Or how does that work? Used right. to be the physician had to see you once a year.
1: Right, right. So Right. So most physicians still wanna do that. They still want to see you once a year. So
9: you just call and make an appointment. And that would you be and cholesterol. That
1: was, right. Well that right? would be your, your you know, your annual visit. Which would be different from this. Right. Yeah. right. So you would just say, no, I need my annual physical with my provider. A physical.
9: But I wouldn't book a physical uh-huh. at this point in my life. I mean, if they're not going to pay for it and I think I'm healthy, but I do have, let's say I need three prescriptions refilled from the previous year.
1: Right. Um, so but what I would say, if I was your provider, I would say we really do need to sit down and talk because I need to know, number one, I'm going to order blood work. Um, and I wanna know, let's say you were on cholesterol medication and a, and a kidney, uh, um, a medication for your blood pressure, we would wanna check your kidney function. I would wanna know how your weight is. I wanna examine, it. I wanna talk to you about this. Yeah. So even though unfortunately it's not covered, what I would say is you may not necessarily need to come in for an entire physical, but you probably do need to come in for a visit, have some blood work and have a discussion and a shorter exam. Yeah.
9: So you would just say.
1: And then those prescriptions, right?
9: You have a family history of this, and
1: right, right. Need and an then,
9: appointment, right? I exactly.
1: Guess,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, did I understand you're you're doing or not doing like listening to heart and lungs, for example, during this annual wellness visit? The mm-hmm.
1: only way that you're touched for this visit is to get your blood pressure mm-hmm. taken by the medical assistant. So, so this is very different than
0: it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. It, I mean. It, you're making a a very
1: specific change. So it depends. I mean, it depends on. I have to tell you, I think a lot of physicians what they were doing is they were doing their usual physical and they were billing for this.
0: Well, we didn't have much done though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, not like, a complete yeah. physical, yeah. just the heart and lungs and
1: breast exam. Yeah, right. That was it. And right. So, so there has not been a change <clears throat> in the Medicare regulation. I think we're trying to make the change, so again, we need to be compliant with what the the laws are.
4: Mm Well, it isn't dealing directly with this, but it would be nice to coordinate when people are going to go on Medicare beforehand, if the hospital or your providers here could tell us what we need to know. Now, in my case, I got my insurance card and everything. It started September 1st, so in August I notified. Everybody, what was the change was, and I get uh, supplies for a CPAP, and it's been seven months to get my supplies. Once I went from Blue Cross Blue Shield to Medicare, because nobody told me that I had to go see my physician again or see the people in the sleep study before Medicare would pay for it, so and I got. You they know, wanted
8: a face-to-face.
4: They wanted a face-to-face before we'd cover, right. but it took and me four months of oh, dealing I mean. with care before they actually said, oh, that's the problem, that's why you're not getting your supplies anymore.
8: And then we were on vacation and not be coming back for six weeks.
1: You know, mm-hmm. you know I think that's face-to-face. a great idea, and I have not seen any classes about preparing people for Medicare. The other piece to it is the supplemental insurance, right? So many people are just completely lost and don't understand like why should I do like a Medicare managed care? Why should I just go through AARP and get a
4: supplement? What
1: is the actual differences in terms of? What
4: Medicare sent me, I went through the whole thing twice and I didn't see anywhere in at least the paperwork that they sent me, that said, oh you have to see your provider face to face before we'll continue covering anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most of the stuff reads like stereo instructions I would go to a line here, and then I, I don't have internet at home, and when I go to the public library, I go to AARP and say, what does this mean in Medicare? So I could get a layperson's description of what they were trying to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a Medicare.gov website, I guess people probably know that. But there's also um, Service Link in New Hampshire and there's a, uh, I don't know what it's called in Vermont, but it has to be a ship in Vermont, too. Mm-hmm. And so they do, a lot of them do um, new to Medicare workshops. Yeah. Or even if they don't do a workshop, you can make an appointment and go there and they can explain everything to yeah. you when you're getting ready to go on Medicare or even after you're on
1: Medicare. Yeah. Can so our service link in New Hampshire is run out of the uh, Lebanon Senior Center. Jane Conklin is the, um, Marie, you're It's certain, a different building, it's, a, it's not it's at the senior center. Right, it's the building next door, excuse okay. me, right. But it's that center, it's in Lebanon. Um, and and Jane will actually do exactly what you said. She will sit down and meet with people individually. Um, and I know that they did have some classes, but I don't, I have not seen us having classes here at Dartmouth. Okay. But again, everything we focus on is, is, is for patients 65 and over. But we should be thinking about. It. I think that's a great idea um, to think about having. Maybe we could even get Jane to come and and do some classes here, like that last year. As you're yeah, pre- or, yeah. as you're preparing to go on Medicare, what are the considerations? The other questions too. A lot of people have are about the drug plans, right? Part D. Part, um, yes. So there's a lot of questions about whether you should or shouldn't, and especially if you're not really taking medicines. And so I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is there's never, uh, you know, too much education that you can provide to people, for sure. Um, so yeah. Well, what I what I explained to
8: Linker, you know, I said to them, when information, you know, patient gives you information that they're going on to Medicare, yeah. it should be an automatic well, response to that. You need a face to face, you know, with a provider, and not you know let it fall through the cracks and stuff you know like in August you know oh you need to see a provider to continue getting your supplies and it should be sort of automatic like the person you you give all your new information to should be able to say oh Medicare yes this is what we do with Medicare you need a face to face (laughs) but apparently I found out it's with when you change to whatever other insurance also say if you go from Blue Cross Blue Shield to Humana yeah. or whatever, they all seem to need a face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So it should have been the first words out of their mouth after you give a change
1: of insurance. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you and you could have avoided a lot of annoyance. Sure. Know, right? Well, when, you, when you're in the middle
8: of nowhere and they say, well, you need a face-to-face, and you say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be care. home for another six yeah. weeks, Yeah, you know, I can't do anything until February
0: and we were in December
6: no. Sure, sure. So can the scheduler, um, can, can you look into the scheduler looking at the date of a person that's calling in, the birth date of a person calling in and maybe flag that they take care of that there?
1: So one of the things that we try to do are these, like Marie just said, flagging, right? So we flag patients for a lot of different reasons we call them best practice alerts, right? So when you go in to see your provider for Dartmouth-Hitchcock, if there are things that you need, if there are things like you don't have an advanced directive, right, we get a flag, we get something up on the chart, right? So what Maria is suggesting, which I think is absolutely brilliant, um, is that when somebody comes in and they're 64, right, at that moment you say to them, you know, you're going to have to be making some of these choices pretty soon, and maybe you should, whatever, whatever that counseling would be prior.
6: And or the person who makes the appointment on the phone, if you're calling in to make an appointment, and they know they notice that you're going to be 65 soon, maybe there could be an alert there. I,
1: yeah. Absolutely.
6: Because it, you have to have made the appointment before you you get there when you're 64.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just to let you know, there is actually two other visits that are similar to this. There's one that's called Welcome to Medicare. Oh, that's right.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: And that has to happen within the first 12 months of you getting mm-hmm. Medicare. And then there's what we call an initial annual wellness visit. So the first mm-hmm. time you've had the wellness visit. In- So you can only get the Welcome to Medicare in that first year. So if you're past the first year, forget it. You can't get that visit anymore. But the initial annual wellness visit, you can get it any time. And that would be the first wellness visit like this you've had. It's called the initial. And then all the other ones are called subsequent. And so the initial, right, could happen at any time. As long as you didn't have, if you had welcome to Medicare, then your initial annual wellness would have to be 365 days after that, Mm -hmm. right? But if you never didn't have the welcome, then you could get your initial at any time, and then your subsequent would be 365 days.
4: If if I had known about this Mm -hmm. last August, because I started on September 1st, then I would have made an appointment and gone for this in September, and I, everything would have been, you know, clear and.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you. But know, I didn't even know this
4: existed until just recently.
7: hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And you hadn't gotten any correspondence from Medicare. Yeah, oh, I wow. think you mentioned before. I think it's spotty. Like some of, like I have patients that come in, and um, my husband's actually on Medicare, and he's never received some of this that patients yeah. bring in. The so book it's book. interesting. It's a huge if book. If you're
0: on my uh, oh. my Medicare. You know, just like my DH, you can create a MyMedicare.gov account. And they give you, like, notices about um, prevention and so forth. But they usually send something when you're going to turn <coughs> 65. You usually get something in the mail from Medicare, you know, a month or two before. And they give you some information. The problem, I think, part of the problem is Medicare sends you stuff which you want to read. But then 7,000 other insurers send <laughs> yeah, you stuff yeah. that you want to throw in the trash. So you have to pay attention to who's sending it to you.
8: Yeah. Well, yes, he said, he said Medicare did see, he saw stuff that Medi, what Medicare sent. Excuse but me? He, Medicare did send stuff. You trying to read it, and it sort of, it's not all there, and then they don't give it um, in, in clarity, it, which is typical for government language. So and that's because when I read service. it twice. Mm. I
4: know it, what the package they sent me to, to, to explain all the different ways of using Medicare insurance, and then I can't use it outside the country, and all these great things. But as far as this, you know, I don't remember seeing it mentioned anywhere on
8: now, just and a quick question, what is. does the welcome to Medicare,
0: what does that
8: one do? It's essentially the same
1: visit, right? It just happens within that first 12 months of you getting Medicare. So it's the wellness visit with the health risk assessment. It's just the first one within that first year of Welcome to Medicare.
5: And they mm. test you for everything if you want it. colonoscopies, well, oh, blood works, oh, Lord, they do everything. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And I and think that's the of We got it from Dartmouth, you that we needed to schedule it uh-huh. from uh-huh. Dartmouth. Yes, yeah, from Dartmouth, not from right. Medicare.
7: Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. How come I don't know about this? And how come some other people don't know about this? I'm 80 years old and I've never heard of all this. Right. Oh. No. I, don't I mean, read my I book. Don't you get your Medicare and You book day? Don't, don't you get that
0: big fat that, book? Medicare and You book comes to you every that day. That big out. fat book. That it yeah. tells you every yeah, well, you
5: know, well, day. You want to get one for most of
0: it. We're supposed to read it. We covered it together. Why do I do the whole thing to see? Yeah. So I have one more thing, if I may. Sure. This is 70 questions and so have sub-questions is daunting. Uh, So I don't know how much compliance you're going to get with people filling this whole thing out. I mean, I agree it's important information, but I don't know how many people are going to actually fill it out.
1: I think you have a great point, and believe it or not, this is pared down. Some of them are mm-hmm. even longer than this. Mm-hmm. But did I uh, mention
5: the peanut butter in this one? <laughs> oh, my girl, no, she just had, a, she just take, had her. Do you no, know. and asked her how much peanut butter did she eat. Yeah, so there was an old
1: questionnaire. So that must have been the yeah, yeah, old questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, oh, I know, a and, weeks ago. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they well, said how much peanut said, butter what's do happened? you eat? That's what I she asked what me. We have we no idea how that question got on there. But I think, so we've done some testing. Right? We've had people sit down and do it on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um And it does take about a half an hour to oh, do it on, the, yeah. I think
2: if somebody is really concerned about their health, that they're going to want to have a physical, and they're not going to be paid for it, and I don't think that's fair. I mean, your wellness visit is not going to give you any answers. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: confused by that statement. What do you mean it's
2: not going to give you any answers?
6: Any answers
2: to what your health is. Yeah,
7: yeah what's the if point of it? It's not yes, going to find anything.
2: I mean,
1: you don't know what's going on in your body. So, actually, a physical exam doesn't really tell us a no, whole heck of a no. lot. What What tells us how you are is this. Oh, disagree.
3: Before you adjourn, I just want to say I think you did a tremendous job today a great presentation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank
1: you, thank you. I apologize again for not being Dan Moran, but uh, we'll, get we'll get him on the hook for something else. <laughs> right? We missed him, whoever he is. A lot <laughs> of
2: good suggestions have come out of this. Yes. Too bad it wasn't audio tape. It was. It was. So oh, yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, there you go. Mm, yeah. So it's not just gonna go into the it is not
1: just gonna go into the uh some archives. of those suggestions oh. are, yeah and, absolutely and absolutely. And absolutely
2: well thank you everyone thank you. It's been great. Thank you. You
1: have a wonderful <laughs> class that participates yeah. it makes it so much better. Thank you.
2: Why
1: do we need uh, no I mean, sure it's